Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Keep sending us Chrome experiments. This summer will be legendary. Sinners make the best saints. There's no place like home. Hey, welcome back. I'm so excited for this episode because we got to talk to a man that has made so many of our favorite internet things, Aaron Koblen. You really can call him an internet wizard. He's one of these people who has the internet flowing through him and whose spirit, I think, flows through the internet. I know this sounds a little hokey, but honestly, if the internet had Jedis, Aaron would be one of them. He's a multi-Webby award-winning artist, technologist, and co-founder of the virtual and augmented reality company, Within. A few months ago, I sat down with Aaron. We talked a bit about his early work, like the Sheep Market Project and the Wilderness Downtown, but pretty quickly got deep into what he's doing today at Within, which I'd sum up as nothing less than shaping the future of storytelling and human connection through the prism of art and technology. Yeah, you know, I've always just been focused on on having fun and pursuing my curiosities and figuring out what can I learn. Um, a lot of that has been trying to take technologies that I observed and figure out like what strange kind of more human applications or uses could there be for for those technologies. So I, I got you know kind of deeply into both art and tech at a really young age and started ripping apart video games and making mods and uh, eventually kind of found my way through into computer science and then quickly kind of out of it and and into fine arts to try to huh. figure out okay from the fine arts angle can I actually do the fun stuff that I want to do not the optimization based stuff which I have so much respect for, but which wasn't something I had a personal kind of Did you actually to. study computer science in, um, yeah, in so school? Yeah, so I went into undergrad at uh, UC Santa Cruz starting computer science okay. and then going to grad school at UCLA immediately after that in a program called Design Media Arts where I got to work with people like Casey Reese who were building the processing programming language. And, and it was really kind of a different mindset. It was like, okay, let's think about programming for artists and educators and designers and, and coming up with a system that's uh, eliminating a lot of the, the kind of redundant work at getting you to a place where you can iterate and prototype quickly, which is what I realized I really love. I love making stuff and modifying stuff and and also figuring out how those those pieces of software can intersect with cultural trends and play with people's perceptions of themselves and and political topics. So that that kind of led me into music video, the music video world. I started doing like laser scanner stuff and met a music video director here in LA named James Frost who, who said, if you could work with anyone, who would it be? And I threw out Radiohead. And some months later he came back and said, oh, I know someone who knows Radiohead. What, what, what should we do? And I showed him a bunch of the art projects I was working on. The thing that stuck with them was this laser scanning stuff I was playing with, which ended up being the same lasers that the self-driving cars at Google use. Um, but we, we made a whole video, music video without video. And uh, it, it was just kind of like one thing led to another. And I started just experimenting with new things. Did you yeah. have like parents who were artists or in was that like part of your family background? Yeah. Um, so my stepmother worked at Disney. Um, okay. 
and and it was kind of a fusion. My dad was an entrepreneur who was um, installed one of the first ATM machines and and ultimately did touchscreen kiosks for mall systems. Uh-huh. Things that were kind of way ahead of their time um, in terms of the uh, the touchscreen stuff. Um, so I, I, I grew up. I, I probably had my first access to a computer when I was like five or six. Um, wow! And I, I just started messing around with them, and it became kind of second nature as an only child. When you have a, com- a personal computer, it was kind of like what you do. Was, and it, how you was it like connected to anything at that point? Or? Uh, back in the day, no. Originally, yeah. it wasn't. You know, there were bulletin board systems. Yeah. I had an old school modem, and uh, eventually that turned into CompuServe and uh, weird things like um, Imagination, which was like the Sierra Online Game Network, which was one of the coolest things, and it's totally like long gone. So there's a definite passion for gaming in there too. Yeah, yeah. I've always been, especially the gaming that's more story driven. Right. I think that's part of what's inspiring what we're up to now. But but thinking about how these media, um, you know, it's not just about points and killing stuff, but it's about some kind of emotional connection and some type of um, kind of higher level thinking, which that, that's always really intrigued me, the way that you can have relationships and thoughts that are mediated, but they're still like superhuman things uh, just being delivered to you by a technology. Yeah. Tell, tell me about like one of the projects we might not know about that you maybe worked on early on where you sort of like got the bug. The, the sheet market stands out because it was kind of, for me, um, you know, the internet already was well underway. Well, tell people about the sheet market. Sure. So, so the sheet market is basically uh, my reaction to a service by Amazon called the Mechanical Turk. And if you're not familiar with it, it's basically artificial, artificial intelligence, which means paying people very small amounts of money to do things that are difficult for a computer, but really easy for a person. So when this came out, I immediately had this kind of polarized reaction. It's like on one hand, uh, this is amazing because now you have uh, an API or, or some means of tapping into human brains. Like you can just treat people like machines. And in saying that is the other side of it, which is like, oh yeah, what happens when you do that? You have this totally alienated workforce who has no idea what they're doing, could potentially be put to use doing something pretty evil uh, or, or amoral at the very least. Um, it certainly it, has been, I'm sure, many well, times I mean, over since then. It's a weird thing, yeah. right? It's like the, the the positive and the negative are really apparent and polarizing. So so it, the first thing I wanted to do was experiment with this and kind of make a project that was commenting on it. So I didn't want to come in incredibly heavy-handed, and, and I do think like – you know, it's, there are very good things that those systems can be used for. So I, I started off by just asking people to draw a sheep. And I said, I'll pay you two cents if you draw a sheep facing to the left. And I was mostly curious, like, would people do this? If somebody asked me to draw a sheep and, you know, pay me two cents for it, I feel like I'd be kind of offended. I, <laughs> at very least, ask why. Um, but of the first uh, 10,000 responses, only one person actually wrote, why? Why do you want this as their submission? Almost everybody drew a sheep. And some of the sheep were really well done. I mean, people were spending a lot of time. So it became abundantly clear people weren't doing this for the money. Right. This was a personal self-expression. And um, so there were a lot of interesting things happening. There were people who got uh, you know, offended that ultimately what I did as a commentary was put those sheep back online at the sheepmarket.com and sell them in plate blocks. So it wasn't like you could pick one you liked. It was just a system for processing these creative uh, ventures. So anyway, I ended up selling them 20 bucks a piece, pl- blocks of 10. Uh, and, and people, people bought them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those all sold out. And then the people who worked on them were, were really upset. They were like, I feel so exploited. And like, I had no idea what I was doing. And, and the people who didn't get to contribute to the project had the opposite reaction. They said, oh, this is cool. Can I give you a sheep? Like, <laughs> open up submissions. I want to give you more. So I, I thought that was an interesting kind of way of looking at and examining. And it sort system. of touches back to what you started off with, which was the, there was, as soon as you saw Mechanical Turk, there's sort of immediately like these two sides of, totally. of it, right? Totally. Like, yeah. On display, right? There. And a lot of intermediate things. I think um, 
we, we started to think about so, so after that, we, we did kind of the opposite project. Chris Milk and I did a thing called the Johnny Cash Project, which was basically the inverse. It's like, what if everybody knows what they're working on? And not only are they work, do they know, but it's something they're passionate about. So it's like Johnny Cash had just passed away. He had this final track, Ain't No Grave Can Hold My Body Down. He's basically singing about his virtual resurrection. Right. Um, so we had this idea to make a music video where every single frame was drawn by a different person. And it would be this evolving database, uh, basically portraits uh, and, and tangible love for this, this icon. Um, and what we saw there was, you know, just people pouring their hearts and souls into building this thing that they could feel ownership over and, and watch come to life in front of their eyes. And people um, actually voted and uh, like every frame ended up having like a thousand submissions or a hundred submissions or something. And then yeah. people end up voting on which one of the specific frame made it sort of to the top, right? It, and exactly. you could sort of recalibrate. Yeah. So it was like a, a living and breathing data set yeah. and you could sort it m multiple ways, one of them by highest rating. I mean, you could see the individual people like where they were from and you could watch the way they drew each frame, which added even, I think, more yeah. humanity to it. We also got Lawrence Lessig to write our kind of uh, legal terms, which basically explained that people would own their own creations and this right. was part of a collect collective database. So yeah, I really, I mean, I if people are listening right now and they haven't w seen that, I really recommend it. Also, I'll plug the fact that we had the incredible experience of having you and your partner, Chris, at the Webbies to honor that yeah. uh, that year. I think it was like 2013, is that probably-ish, right? Sounds about, like that? sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we got Nora Jones to come play that song while playing the actual video project. I don't even know if it's fair to call it a video, but the the, yeah, uh, the project in the background to her with her playing to it is yeah. sort of like another. Yeah. That was an amazing moment. It, yeah, yeah. I was, I mean, I worked on it and when I saw it, I was like, I can't believe how beautiful this looks. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's my favorite project to date because I still like can feel kind of the humanity and, and value of all the people's work. They really built that project. You know, yeah. we, we teed it up and, and they made it amazing. A lot of people who are listening to this will know that you started something with Chris Milk and would love to just briefly even chat about how you guys met and got started together because you have a lot of tons of fruitful collaborations in many years at this point. Yeah. Um, you yeah. started something called, at the time it was called Verse. Uh, it was basically a VR studio you can fix that definition in a second. <laughs> sure. Uh, it's now called Within. Yeah. Um, so yeah. tell us a little bit about it. Like, t what is Within doing now? Like, why did you start it? Yeah. So um, so Chris and I met uh, many years ago at a music video event. Um, he had done uh, Narls Barkley music video, and I had worked on that radio had music video I mentioned before. Um, we immediately hit it off, led into projects. Uh, we had also been doing our own projects. So in addition to the music videos, which were amazing because you could put them on the internet and millions of people could see them around the world, we were also doing museum installations. Um, we worked together on a project in the Tate Modern, which um, was kind of a branching narrative builder and had this physical presence, which was amazing. So um, you could walk through the space and feel, you know, like, oh, the physicality of this and it's shared with other people. And at the Tate, you know, there's 5 million viewers a year. So that's in some ways felt like kind of the most we could hope for in terms of actually getting people through the physical space to experience the, the physical version. And then all of a sudden virtual reality started to pop up on the horizon. We were watching what was happening in the early experiences uh, at, at uh, Bolus's lab at USC and some of the other people who are experimenting in, in technologies which would give you that physical kind of experience, but in a more democratized, open, distributable way. So w what we immediately saw was, okay, now we can do those kinds of museum things, but get them to tons of people in hard You don't have to get somebody to come to this thing that you've space. built specifically for it. You can... Yeah. Let them experience it through VR. Exactly. So that was one of our first draws. Um, and, and then, of course, the fact that you're not 
restricted to the real world constraints either. You can actually change physics and you can ha have dynamics and do all kinds of really fun things. Um, so we were both gravitated to that technology and a lot of it was about timing. It was just, when are we actually going to have sensors and devices that reach a tipping point and actually become something that could be a consumer device? And at this time, at this point, you are like leading the Google data team, I believe, data arts team. Yeah. Chris is making music videos and doing other projects and you guys are collaborating on projects together throughout all this time before you start Verse and now within. Right? That, that's right, yeah. So I led a team at Google called the Data Arts Team, which was uh, an amazingly fun situation, getting to work with some incredibly smart and talented people. Um, and, and some of the things we did were uh, more kind of interactive data visualization things, and some of them were music videos like with Chris. So we did a project called The Wilderness Downtown, which was for Arcade Fire. Um, it was using Google Maps, uh, satellite imagery, street view, and you type in the address where you grew up, and it builds the entire music video um, for you and around where uh, kind of your childhood memory. So it was this, this hack, basically, to tap into your own personalized nostalgia and generate a music video that was meant for you. Um, so, so it was great to get to work together in that capacity and have access to really incredible resources and partners and friends. Um, and then after that, we, we kind of I, I started seeing um, all kinds of things happening from Google Cardboard, which our team helped to do the web launch for, mm. um, and 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 other things with obviously Oculus and Vive and other players on the horizon that were beginning to prove that these technological barriers were being passed, and now yeah. it was it was, uh, it was about to be the right time. So Chris, so I left Google, joined Chris to start this company. We founded it, um, you know, about three years ago. Uh, the, our, our first take on virtual reality was basically uh, we want to connect people together and we want to give people access to experiences that are important and profound and meaningful. Um, so we started off um, with two projects. One of them was called the Evolution of Verse, Chris directed. It's uh, you know a very short kind of dream sequence which really shows you a lot of the potential for virtual reality experientially. Um, the at that at that point, there was a company called Verseworks, which is now called Here Be Dragons, and they're the production company that was uh, partnering to build the second project, which was called Clouds Over Sidra, which is a Syrian refugee camp in Jordan. And basically, you're on the ground, and this girl is taking you through her life. And really, the, what was important to us at that point was photorealism. It's like we have these devices, and in order for you to connect with this girl and to understand what her situation is, you really have to feel like you're there and be able to relate to her. So phase one is stereo 360 video that you can live inside of and you have spatialized sound. And at least for a moment in watching this film, uh, you forget that you're not actually there. So like typically it's a suspension of, a suspension of belief and you, you put yourself inside a movie and you say like, I gonna, I'm going to believe that this is real, at least subconsciously. I think with virtual reality, it's like suspension of belief at times where you basically have to say, uh, remind yourself, that oh you're my not God, this isn't insane. real. Like, I forgot. I totally blanked right. on the fact that I wasn't there. And you're having these discoveries different from a movie that's edited and framed. You're looking around and you're noticing that upside down on the tarp above you are letters and that, that actually says UN. And you're, you're kind of, experiencing things the way you do when you travel or when you have a kind of more first-person person yeah. experience. Also, Webby Winter, that uh, Clouds Over Cedra. And uh, for me, that was, the, that was the first thing that I experienced where I realized, oh, this is, this is a thing that can make people like empathize for other people, right? I was yeah. like, this is a thing where you can actually put someone in somebody else's shoes. You can communicate other experiences that, you know, it's just me personally. Where yeah. That's the moment where I sort of, that was the project that sort of said, okay, this is not just about 
you know, holding a sword Tech and yeah, yeah, having totally. fun. But this is, this, this is like really meaningful. Yeah. I think for me, what I noticed was when you, when you make eye contact with somebody in virtual reality, at least for a moment, you really feel like they're looking at you. I, I haven't had that experience with a television screen. Right. Whereas, you know, you have this edited up close frame and you, you see that tear running down the face and it, it moves you, but not in the way that you're like, oh my God, like that's a, that's a human. And at least momentarily I need to like do something about this situation. Right. That, that was one of the things that was found actually, uh, UNICEF was using the film for fundraising and actually found that it was, um, even more successful in getting people to actually, you know, dig deep and co commit more money. Yeah. Was the idea that you would make these films or make these experiences and then sell them to have people fund them or to, you know, sort of sell them to brands or yeah, like sort yeah. of <laughs> sell them to people, you know, how are you thinking about, and I'm sure this, I'm sure you've trying all of those things and now, now yeah. you sound like a VC. No, no, sorry. <laughs> no, no I mean, ultimately, you know, our, we're artists at the core. Um, and we, we were first and foremost focused on how do we make something that will move people that will connect with people that will be uh, important and powerful. And then our philosophy has always been, if you can do that, then like there'll be some way to yeah. monetize it and turn right. it into a business. Um, we, we've now, um, uh, brought on a bunch of great investors and partners who have a lot of experience in that realm. Um, uh, Emerson Collective was actually just announced to be uh, co-leading our, our new round of financing. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, so Lorraine Powell Jobs, who personally I find very inspiring, um, is, is helping to lead that charge along with Tomasek and Andreessen Horowitz and Fox and a bunch of great partners. That's great. But the, the hope is to basically you know create a destination and a platform where that people can trust. I think in virtual reality, you're basically handing your consciousness over. Mm. And that with that great power comes responsibility. I think you can make somebody feel sick, but you can also like create scary or, you know, potentially, uh, you know, they're, they're visceral experiences that I think have subconscious effects we don't fully understand. So what we want to do is create content that we're proud of, that you, you feel like you can trust, and that hopefully has, you know, a, a deeper level of connection and thought than necessarily a hack and slash shoot somebody, yeah. collect the coins kind of thing. How, how far do you think the tech has gotten? And like, I, I mean, you know, I think that I didn't get to go, but I know you guys had an installation at Sundance, and we'll talk about that in a second. Sure. Um, in the cases where I've been able to go to somebody's setup, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then we're fortunate enough at the Webby office, we have like a pretty decent setup so we can do some stuff. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, but there's still a barrier for, there's still kind of a barrier for just like people at home who yeah. are maybe doing this through work and are just like passionate, right? Like There how, is, especially for the high end stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to get that full six degree of freedom experience, a lot of people aren't yet investing the money to build it out in their homes. And those technologies are getting better with every iteration. One of the things we're really excited about right now are, is a partnership with IMAX Experience Centers. So if if you, the latest project we did is called Life of Us. Um, basically, you can go buy a, buy a ticket and check it out with your friends. It's, it's a in, social, in, in IMAX. In the IMAX experience. Oh, I didn't know so that. That's a, great. Yeah, it just opened here in LA at the Grove. There's one in New York. Um, there's a, a bunch of other locations, including internationally, that are launching. And there's a few other entities that are, are looking at that model as well, uh -huh. which we're pretty excited about. But we, we also have an app that lives you know, on your mobile phone. So yep. you can... Uh, Download the app on iOS, Android. Um, also for the other uh, mobile headsets, so Gear VR, Daydream, um, or the high end, so PlayStation VR. And how do you 5. feel? Like how do you feel like those those setups are 
are they doing a good job of like showing what you guys want people or making people have, have the experience you want them to have? Yeah. They're like all how limiting. Is it for you right now? Well, they're all, they each have their pros and cons and yeah. they're all kind of at different phases. So I think what you'll find on the app today on your mobile phone is, you know, if you have a Google cardboard, you can drop your phone in and get kind of the baseline VR immersion experience. You can also just hold it up and use it as a magic window and look yeah. around. So I think, the, the content still holds up. Like you can get a sense of what it's like to be, um, you know, in those places and having those experiences. I think what we'll see in the very near future are uh, um, new devices, which kind of take that uh, accessibility and quality one step further. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, there, there are a few analogies. If you look at like Netflix as a company and, and they started off shipping DVDs in the mail yeah. uh, and ultimately were a company that was ready to take advantage of the real opportunity, which is going direct right. via the internet. We're, we're in a somewhat similar place where we're you know distributing through multiple means right now. Um, and we're, we're already starting to see what, we're, what makes me most excited is the real kind of presence, real interactive social power of virtual reality and augmented reality as well. Yeah. Um, so, so we're just in that transition phase where what the devices, as we just saw um, through WWDC recently, Apple just announced AR kit integration, which means you know hundreds of millions of devices that will now have AR and six degrees of freedom. And I, we're, we uh, we launched a demo there at WWDC and have uh, some other projects in the works right now. What was the What was the demo? Um, it was a Goldilocks storybook. So okay. it's basically it has a twist to it, but basically you can use your voice to read each chapter, and then um, you watch on the table in front of you as the whole story takes place with these models that are evolving and changing at the and uh, there's a little twist where she becomes aware that you're watching her, and uh, you can imagine how that would change the, the story. Right, idea. right. So you're um, you're actually reading, and at, and your voice is, is yeah. creating the the story that you're seeing. Exactly. Yeah. So as you read each line, that magically advances the story. Mm. Um, it was really you know meant to be a prototype. It's a demo for the launch of the technology. Right. It's a technology that I think has the power to get you know. Uh, mainstream society aware of what the potential is for the technology and probably push it yet, yet another step. It, it's AR is quite different from, from VR in that, you know, it can be context aware. It can be really about interacting with your real world reality. And I think that will get to the next step when we have artificial intelligence uh, that can meaningfully and quickly understand the higher order concepts of what your world means. So it can recognize objects. Your characters can, can, have meaningful reactions to those objects. You can, right. there's, there's so much that can be done with that technology. When it comes to storytelling, um, I think we're just the tip of the iceberg. So we're spending a lot of time thinking about what some of those stories could be and how they work both in AR and VR when you have a social setting. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But I want to talk a little bit about Life of Us. You know, I, I hesitate to describe it, so tell, tell us a little bit about it. I know, um, I know you guys premiered it as an experience at Sundance, I think. Yeah, correct, yeah. So Life of Us is basically the first attempt to make a real project using um, connected virtual reality. So what that means is, like, like, Chris and I started off with a prototype where we had, you know, boxes for hands and a head. And we were, I was in San Francisco. He was in L.A. And this is inside the environment. You put on the virtual headset. You see yourself. You're, you're nothing but primitive objects. Um, the second that that cube lifted up and plopped onto Chris's head and he started talking to me, I immediately was like, okay, that's Chris. I, I see him moving around. Even before he was talking, I recognized his posture and his way of walking around. And I could see like, okay, uh -huh. wow, that, that's actually him. Then the second you hear the voice and you wave to each other, it's like you are now in a virtual space coexisting together. And you have an incredible canvas to start telling stories. You, you can then build up whatever circumstance you want and drop us both into it and see how we react. So one of the first things we did was like try to become different creatures. So we skinned ourselves as lizards and tadpoles and pterodactyls. And ultimately what we wanted to do was tell the biggest story we could possibly think of, which is the entire history of life on Earth. So just, we, a, just a small, small <laughs> little idea there. Like, huh? Let's challenge. Let's create a challenge. Um, so we, we start off as a single cell amoeba, which in and of itself is a strange thing to try to like embody, you know, your full physicality as a single cell. Um, but then what we, we did was evolve so that every stage of evolution, you can feel like you're becoming more advanced and you're figuring out how you operate again. In so you way. don't have, you don't have arms cause you're an amoeba. Yeah, exactly. And then later on in the experience, you start to have an arm. Maybe, you got or... like your, these mitochondria, you're flailing around and your little kind of fake mouth thing. So you can still tell that it's your friend. Um, but you sprout you know, tadpole arms. And next thing you know, you're swimming, uh, under, and, and there's all these Easter eggs we built in really fun things. Like you can blow bubbles as an amoeba or as a tadpole. And as you like blow longer bubbles, they get bigger and you can pop pop the bubbles. And I guess I should ask you how much stuff does somebody have to put on to, to do this? Yeah. This is just a, a VR headset okay. and headphones as, oh, wow. as well as hand trackers. Okay. So this was, this particular experience was built for the high end devices, the, the vive and the rift. And, and those are able to sense just from the headset, like what your mouth is doing. Is yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, well, that was really just an audio hack. We just okay. listen to the microphone that's built into the headset and, and figure out how to modulate that into a bubble. Got it. Um, we later turned that into fire breathing when you're a pterodactyl. Uh, it's obviously not exactly scientifically accurate, which is the fun of it. So uh, so you end up progressing. I won't give it all away, but you go post-human. And we have this dance track that Pharrell wrote, which is also really fun, getting to work with him and having kind of that spirit and energy uh, be the culmination of this post-human uh, event. But the yeah, the whole idea is really like get people to experience presence being something different than what they are along with a friend. The whole thing, I think there's a lot of criticisms about virtual reality and somewhat rightly so that you put on this headset and all of a sudden you're alone in this reality. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we have the internet. We have technology right. that can just patch people together. All of a sudden you can get, you know, in, in this experience we could put up to six people in together and they can all be on this band running through the savannah. It can be not only incredibly social but social in a way we probably haven't experienced before where we can literally like become the same creature together or meld minds. Right. We can do things that are superhuman yeah. uh, and share that and laugh. And, and When I hear you talk about it, the thing that's to, that sounds like really weird and awesome is the concept of not having certain senses that are like essentially kind of turned off or that don't have control of anything anymore, like right. having arms that don't actually do anything, right. then eventually having them do something or having maybe more 
I was more arms exactly, or, yeah. or just like things that and other animals the, had or totally just, like just must do really weird things with your brain. I would, I would think right? it does indeed. Yeah. And this is stuff that folks like Jaron Lanier have been playing with since the uh-huh. origins of VR. And now they're accessible to, you know, large numbers of people, but things like, yeah, like why, why have two arms? Why not add an yeah. additional one and learn how to control it by flicking your wrist? Do you feel that it's, working different parts of your brain. Yeah. I mean, what you realize quickly is like we have neuroplasticity is a thing. Like our brains can quickly evolve and change to learn how to do something else. So you can give yourself a new appendage in this experience yeah, and, and your it doesn't brain take... quickly figures out how to control it exactly. with some like weird new motion. Exactly. Yeah. Or with your voice or with, you know, whatever. And, and that's another thing is new. So it becomes inputs. pretty, it becomes like Natural. quickly, not like you're struggling to do it. Totally. Yep. Weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a lot more to play with here. What's been people's reaction to it? Um, I mean, I'm I, sure yeah. they really enjoyed it and thought it was cool, but, like, what's the feedback that you didn't expect or what, what have you learned from seeing people do it? You know, there are a lot of interesting uh, parameters that change people's experience. Like, if they go in it with somebody they know versus somebody they've never met, um, both seem to be – Generally speaking, all really good experiences, but the the meeting somebody in virtual reality is a really unique thing versus the going in with some a loved one or something like that. Um, we've had couples that have met in in Life of Us. We've had, um, but they were they came together to the space, but they didn't know each other and they yeah, agreed like, to do the experience together. Yeah, in the context of Sundance, you have people who come sure. with a partner, or yeah. you have just random strangers who want to try it out. Yeah. And then watching people get to meet each other and watching people, you know, kind of lose their minds. There are people who just like laugh. The entire time because it's such a strange feeling to embody a, a different character and look at your right. body and see it as something else. Um, but yeah, it's it's really fun to watch people. Um, we had um, yeah, we had a, a father and son who went through it, and the son was um, uh, you know very closed off. Um, I, I think he was an autistic child, and he he basically the father. We all watched as as he just opened up. At the beginning of the experience, he was very kind of reserved and I think the the way that he typically acts. And by the end of it, he was laughing and flapping his arms like a like a bird. And the father came out in tears and was just like, thank you. Like, I haven't had this kind of connection with my son ever. Um, and wow. it, it was amazing to, to see that. I was listening to this uh, Voices of VR interview you did, which, by the way, if anybody out there thinks they know about VR, is a really great way, as I did, to find out that you know absolutely nothing. <laughs> Um, it was great though. It was so intense, but you talked a little bit about that, about using like older parts of your brain. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you realize quickly that the, the lizard brain, it's, it, there's a, a whole bunch that we had to do to optimize the thing, to make it, um, comfortable. There, there are things that, you know, your body expects certain types of feelings associated with certain types of emotions. So if you accelerate quickly, you expect to feel it. Mm. And if you don't, that your body is basically your lizard brain is telling your lizard, uh, your lizard self that you must have eaten some poisonous berries and you should probably expel them. So uh, that, that's kind of where nausea comes from is your uh, vestibular system linked to your visual system. And if there's a discrepancy, you're like, got to get rid of it. Right. Um, so there, there are a lot of things we had to do in designing the experience to be conscious of the way that we move you when you're not moving yourself. So if you have, if you have a fixed uh, ex- uh, velocity, there's no acceleration or deceleration, then you're totally fine with it. It's like being on a train or an airplane. Right. You just expect it to feel like nothing. Right. But the second that slows down or stops, if you don't feel it, it's going to cause a wave of nausea. So we did things like uh, have you constantly in a, at a fixed speed on a straight line. And then if we wanted to stop you, we literally disassembled the world around you and introduced you to nothingness and then brought up a new world. As like a cue that like you, that you stop moving now. Well, we, we, we stop you moving without any reference points. So that, that can't bother you. 
(laughs) And there there are a lot of other hacks, like keeping things distant from you. Like Chris and I had a a series of debates because we had this long grass, this beautiful flowing grass that looked amazing. But if it was too tall and you looked down into it, it it would really not work well. It would cause you to get totally disoriented and messed up. What's the dark, you know, black mirror shit that you're just <laughs> like, this is, we, this is the thing people need to be scared of? When it comes to VR um, specifically, um, I don't long for a world where we all live virtual lives. Right. I, I, I think there's a healthy balance that has to be attained with all technologies, be that a mobile phone, which I think has probably gone way outside of the healthy balance, um, or, or a desktop computer. I mean, I grew up on these machines and hunched over, pecking away at a mouse and keyboard and squinting. Um, and I actually find VR to be incredibly refreshing in that I stand up, I use my body, I move around in a way that's way more human and natural than I have interfaced with computers for the past several decades. Yeah, and if you have people in the experience with you, you're actually looking at people and hopefully totally and, and, and as opposed to ignoring I think them. Meaningfully, it's not. It's about a different kind of connection. Um, you know, I like. I, I'm not anti-social media by by any means, but I think the kind of interactions you have are pretty surface level. When you like something or you add a comment, yeah. um, you get this little hit, a, a, a spike where you're like, "Oh, yep, and I connected to that person." But in, you know, this is a more, you know, it's still not real life. But when real life isn't possible or is too limiting for a variety of reasons, you have this opportunity to have co-presence, to hear voice, to share, you know, physicality. Uh, to me, that's a huge leap forward. The, the same way that the World Wide Web was originally t- pages of text, and now we have videos and all kinds of rich media. Um, I mean, I remember is, the time when I was. Leap. I remember when my wife and I were like instant messaging for the first time, and totally. it was like making the you know you had that like you know the AOL sound or whatever it was, and right. you could hear it on the other side. Anyway, it was it, that was like a moment of like, oh my god, it felt live. It was just like, like this yeah. is a real person on the other end. Right. It's not and like it an like, email where I wait twelve hours and. Yeah. This is like the, the quantum leap on the same idea. So how close are we, or maybe it's already occurring and I don't know, how close are we to like I put my headset on in New York and you put yours on in L.A. and somebody else somewhere else and we're all in life of us together yeah. but far away? I mean it's here. Um, so we did that at Sundance actually. We had people in multiple locations joining. So you don't have to be in the same site. It's all running through the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that something like – Is that does that require crazy setups to make work or I mean generally with like high-end – yeah. Oculus gear, somebody could do that? Yeah, yeah, if you've got a Rift or a Vive. Um, so so it's currently in IMAXs and, and works remotely from those locations, but we will be launching it live in a few months. So we have a couple other projects that um, we've teased, one with OK Go, which is an incredible music uh, project. Um, and we, we have a few different kind of like the internet That's like the internet universe like imploding upon itself. <laughs> Damien. Like you you yeah. and Chris and OK Go, it's like it's, – Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's they're really incredible it. dudes. It's, it's so fun to work with them and Damien's like a mad genius. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm super excited about that project. But basically we will be launching a, a number of social projects around the same time. So anybody who has those premium headsets will be able to join. And we're also doing some to-be-announced uh, mobile-based things which will allow similar kinds of interaction. You talked a little bit about uh, AI. How do you see AI in VR? AI is like this buzzword that, you know, actually means a few different things. If you ask a computer game person, then that kind of AI has been around for a long time, non-playing characters and things. And it, it and that is very relevant to what we're doing. The idea of having branching narratives and things that respond to you and 
um, char- kind of character level uh, stuff. So we're we're working on a couple projects. Um, we, we teased another project that is around Planet of the Apes in partnership with Fox um, that has a, a components of that, uh, as well as the other type of artificial intelligence, which is machine learning and neural nets. And um, well, so let's 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 separate. So the first one is pretty clear. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I get where you're going, which is. You have some sort of experience. You have characters in there. You obviously have to have the character. The characters can't just come up and say hello to you and walk away, and that's all they do. Right. They have to react to you, and so there has to be some sort of AI that like helps govern their Yeah, and, and that kind of artificial intelligence is a kind of perceived intelligence that is not actually intelligent in a traditional way of an analyzing intelligence. The other are machine learning and neural nets, which basically the, the idea that you can create a system that can – train and and learn off of trained data to come to its own conclusions. It's basically statistical understandings um, but but from the ground up building its own kind of So how would you how would you like how do you think about that with what you guys are doing cuz that's yeah, that's very much in your current and also old school sort of wheelhouse. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean it's something I'm personally very interested in. I've been playing around with TensorFlow and deep dreaming making those kind of psychedelic images that a lot of people have been playing with. But but I think more uh, concretely, it's basically another tool in the tool belt. So things like gesture recognition in virtual reality. If I uh, you know, wa- if I move my arm back and forth on a pivot, you know I'm waving at you. A computer doesn't automatically know that. So there are ways that you can train off of data sets and then use artificial intelligence to understand things. Okay. Um, in virtual reality, there are a lot of applications for that. In augmented reality, there are even more applications okay. for that. Things. So the, ex- the experience that you create can learn what can basically grow in its learning of how it should interact with the person based on all the people that have used it before. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's various types of data that we can collect and that data can be used for training uh, purposes. Um, and where does all that data come from? <laughs> well, there's a lot of interesting questions there. Um, the immediate stuff we look at uh, that we're already just starting to do are just, um, basic analytics data. But you can also tell things like where people are looking when, like, is the story working? Are people directing their own version in a way that is cohesive with other people? Um, What kinds of learnings can we take as kind of a director or a creator to understand, you know, people's mentalities? I think it's one of the things I've struggled with uh, on the art side of things is you always have a vision and you're coming at it from that kind of place of that vision. Other people enter it without that context and then they derive their own conclusions. So um, you never really know. I mean, you can rest assured you don't have the same, uh, sure. but you never really know what their image is of right. what you're doing. Right. So I think um, using some of that data, you can get a better sense of like what's working. Um, it's just at the highest level. And, you know, I would, I wouldn't argue that that's super comprehensive, but right. it is valuable. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a lot more we'll be able to do with that in the future, especially when you think about experiences that are more open-ended, things that have physics and open-ended worlds where you kind of need – in an ideal world, you'd have a, a reality that could evolve and conform to the circumstance that it's created. Uh, we're not there yet, but but that's going to get really interesting. Right. Um, and and then of course on the a- AR side of things, you can use artificial intelligence to enhance things like computer vision, or you can understand what something is, um, and you can do things like understand the context that you're probably in. Uh, you know, is this a kitchen? What what is that? A knife? Is that a scissors? Why is this happening? Um, those kinds of of applications that I think will get very meaningful for other applications of, of AR as well. Because right. it really, you know, it's one thing to annotate uh, arbitrarily or augment an environment, but until you have an understanding of what that environment is, you can't 
really be actionable. Because otherwise, it's just all somebody's somebody figured out ahead of time. Here's the thing you use when you're here or whatever, in a yeah. kitchen or whatever, and you make the whole experience for that. But it's not really interesting until the thing. Yeah, and it I, figures out on its own where it is and decides what to. Exactly. I mean, we've just we've just solved the like depth thing. Like, uh-huh. okay, we now understand the shapes of things, but once you have shapes, you really need to know like, okay, that's a chair. We can put a character on it. Do you think of AR as film? I mean, I, certainly there's this stuff where it's like you're in some place and it tells you that it's you know six miles away or that's six feet away from the table or something. But, right, right, right. But the type. Do you think of other types of AR experiences as like as film, um, or as no, yeah, I directed directed experiences, I guess, like how you you know some it's of the just ways another, you think about that for, for VR. Yeah, I think it's just another medium and another tool. I think uh, what's exciting is now our you know, and, and Google's honestly been working on this for quite some time. They released the Tango project a number of years ago um, that actually had lasers in it. Uh, I, I think the future is going to look a lot more like that, where you have a precise understanding of where your device is. Can you tell people what the Tango project was? Yeah, so basically it's a, a mobile phone. Um, it's a technology that goes in multiple devices, but there's a, a Tango-based phone that you can buy, and it, it shoots lasers out of it. And similar to the Radiohead project, actually, it knows exactly where the phone is in uh in, in physical space and it knows its orientation. So with that, you can actually reverse virtual reality or augmented reality because you can, you can basically say, if I know exactly where this device is, then I know how to render a world that matches up with, with the real world. So, um, that's just an incredibly powerful tool, which will enable us to tell stories that you can move around, look around, investigate and interact with. And, and it opens up when you start to have persistence of spaces, then you do like what the Pokemon Go promise was, but like the way you really want it to be. It's not just a sprite that's on there. And I don't mean to discount it. It was huge yeah. and successful and those guys are great. Yeah. But, but, but what you really want is to – Take what that Pokemon Go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. What you really want is what I'm sure they're working on right now and about to release, which is the version where you walk around them, you can interact with them. And they have a specific location, so you can start to do things like map the whole planet and understand uh, you know, where – send people to a specific location to find an actual virtual thing that has physicality in that space. Right. As um, opposed to just sort of a, yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a sticker, but a, a sort of flat object, I it, guess. Yeah. Just like a, a sprite that sits on yeah. it. But there's so many things that will happen. I mean, that technology can be used for revolutionizing house building, like where you immediately can make a 3d model of your kitchen. And just by moving your phone around for two seconds, you all of a sudden have a like, centimeter accuracy, if not better, model that you can then modify and play with. And and it will be used for all kinds of both practical and creative applications, I think. So um, last question, uh, maybe second last question. What's uh, So what are you guys looking at in the next few years for within? Like mm-hmm. what are the stuff you're really, you're really focused on? It's obviously in the VR space, I, I assume still. Yeah, is, yeah. So both VR yeah. and AR, um, I'm really interested in uh, connecting people together. So it's the social stuff, the multi-user things where you can share a space with somebody else and have a story. Um, it ba- basically like art and story. It's, it's strange because uh, story has like a very specific meaning, like throughout history, story has been a very well-described thing that comes from one person to another and is an abstract thing that's finished inside your own head. Um, experiences are something else that you live firsthand but the kind of curated experiences that uh, there's this intersection we want to play with and attention we want to play with, with kind of scripted, prescribed, artist, artist-driven uh, 
experiences that you can can actually experience firsthand with somebody else. So it's not unlike going to a movie, which is a very social experience. You're both in witness of this thing that's happening on the screen, and then your interaction comes afterwards as you discuss what you saw. This is something where I think we can use your relationship to another person as a canvas and as a medium itself. So we can we can we can force you guys to interact in different ways that uh, that it becomes the the canvas and the story itself. So I, at least in theory, this is a really interesting space for us to play with. The life of us is our first attempt at at doing that. Um, but we have some new and other ideas that we want to do as well. I mean, it's really emotional in a way, right? I mean, it's 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 really. I mean, as it, much as that, there's tech and there's art. There's like this deep level of psychology and human interaction and emotion that you're really playing with. At the end of the day, that's sort of like the core thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and all of our most uh, important memories and experiences are things we've done with people that we love and care about. And I would argue that the people we love and care about are the people we spend the most time with doing these things. It's a kind of cyclical, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. But to have the ability to engage that as a unit is uh, is a new experience. And, and to to be able to mess with your own perception of yourself and reality in such a profound way is what excites me. Aaron Copeland, thank you so much for making so many projects that have won Webby Awards. Because uh, as I said, I know that everybody listening to this is like a huge fan of your work. And I think we're super excited to see this stuff. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate Thanks, it. Have a good one. Thank you to Aaron for sitting down with us. After talking to Aaron, I went to the IMAX VR space in LA and had a blast. If you live in New York or LA, then go. It's a ton of fun and a real peek into the future. Also, we've linked to a bunch of the work we talked about in the show notes, so if it's Sunday morning or Tuesday afternoon or whatever day you want to make the best day, spend some time with the projects and visit his site for more at aaronkoblin.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-K-O-B-L-I-N.com. Or his company, Syed, with.in. That's with.in. You will be so happy. Our producer is Sebastian Aday. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Research and writing by Michael Charbonneau and Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is the hot water heater that never runs out. Thank you for listening. Don't hesitate to get in touch. I'm on Twitter at DMDLikes. See you next week. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.